1: And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, Richard Ryerson here. Welcome to the
0: show. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by my sponsor, audible.com. If you need to catch up on all your reading, audible.com is a great resource. You can download over 100,000 different titles to your smartphone, to your tablet, take it on the go to work, exercising, wherever you need to catch up on your reading. Audiobooks is a great resource and a great solution make your smartphone smarter. Check out audible.com and get started. You can a special offer for Dose of Leadership listeners. You can go to doseofleadership.com slash audible or you can go to my website and look in the menu and see audible trial up there as a selection and you can download any audiobook that they have for free. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. Check out all the resources. I think you'll be convinced once you want to get caught up in your reading, audible.com will be a perfect solution for you. And if you haven't done so, go to iTunes. I'm almost getting on, getting on Stitcher. I'm getting uh, approved this week with Stitcher. So look for me on there if you don't have iTunes. But uh, go out there, leave a review for me, and uh, leave a five-star review, hopefully, and uh, leave some comments. It helps with the rankings and the visibility. So again, enjoy the interview, and thanks for tuning in. Well, I'm pleased to have on the show with me Fahim Fazli. He was born and raised in Kabul, Afghanistan. He fled the chaos of his homeland back in 1983— and eventually came back to the United States as a refugee. After he moved to California, he worked in a variety of occupations before becoming a member of the Screen Actor Guilds in 2003. He left his acting work, which I think is just so remarkable, from 2009 to 2010 to return to Afghanistan as a linguist and interpreter with the United States Marine Corps. He resides in California with his wife, Amy, and he has one daughter, Sophia. I also have on the phone Michael Moffat with him, and he's a professor, writer, and reserve Marine Corps infantry officer who served in Operation Desert Storm before returning to active duty with the United States Central Command after the 9-11 attacks for the beginning of Operation Enduring Freedom in 2001. Lieutenant Colonel Moffett again returned to active duty with the Marines in 2010 as a field historian for Marine Corps University to document USMC efforts in Afghanistan, again as a part of Operation Enduring Freedom. A native Granite Slater, Professor Moffat teaches at New Hampshire Technical Institute and writes a column for the Where's Times. <laughs> I got both of them on the show because I got a great new book out, Fahim called Fahim Speaks, and it's a very compelling story. I finished it this morning, and it's absolutely a book you cannot put down. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on Dose of Leadership. How are you today?
2: Great, Richie. Thanks for having us. Thank you for inviting us, and thank you for your service, sir.
0: Oh, and thank you for your service. Well, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. How to even classify this story, or where you would even you'd even put it in in the realm of categories? Because it is about leadership. It's a story about. Coming full circle. It's about a story about, uh, um, gosh, it's almost like it can't even be real how many times you escape death. And, and, uh, I, I don't know, Fahim, let's just talk with you first. Let's tell me, a, just let's bring the, the listeners up to speed. We don't have to go into all the details, but how did you know, let's, let's start talking about yourself. How did you find your way to California?
3: Uh, how I find myself in California, sir. Uh, 1979, when the Russian invade Afghanistan, I was always been anti-communist and anti-terrorist. My mom was a pres- uh working for the president of Afghanistan, and uh, my mom fled first with my two sister and brother. My dad stayed with us with my other brother, and I fought the Russian as much as I can. I give my duties, pay my dues for Afghanistan, fought the communists. And one day we made a decision to escape Afghanistan after five years separation from my mom. I finally arrived in Afghanistan, Pakistan, as a refugee. That was my first time I saw a good-looking Marine, my brother. And that was my dream to become one of the Marine, one of the uh, Marines group. And yet that was very nice of them to help us to get an inside the embassy. I... Uh, American Embassy in Pakistan, and uh, we were trying to find my mom where my mom was, and after that we got accepted and came in as a refugee thanks to Ronald Reagan. He's my hero. He always going to be my hero to accept Afghan refugee to United States.
0: Yeah, you know how how old were you when your mother and your uh, was it a sister and a brother or two sisters? I'm trying to remember in the story. Two sisters and brother. Two sisters and brother. How old were you when she fled and and um just in, out of the blue? You didn't even know was, what was happening, right? Uh,
3: we didn't it wasn't acceptance. Uh, I mean, things happened. This happened so quick. The Russian took over. My mom has to leave Afghanistan. I was 13. Because if she wouldn't leave Afghanistan because she was working previous government uh president, uh otherwise uh, if she stayed one more night she would get the whole family get killed. But somehow my dad was a little stubborn, says, No, I love my country and I would never leave Afghanistan and he basically hold me, hold my other brother, stay with him. He thought my mom's gonna come back. Um, it was pretty a uh, very sensitive issue was going on between my mom and dad. And we want to go with my mom, but my mom didn't have a, cha- a choice. have to leave two behind. And that was a uh, little miscommunication between my mom and dad. And my mom... uh left afghanistan and i was very very disappointed and you know mother leave afghanistan to believe their kids but what well, the issue was going on between my mom and dad i was 13 and i started to become a freedom fighter and i want to find the communists as much as i can
0: that's amazing and so how many years were you in afghanistan before you You know, made that, uh, your father made that critical choice to escape to Pakistan. How many years separated from your mother leaving? uh,
3: three and a half years with the Russian. And two years in Pakistan. Well, total is five and a half of five years.
0: So out of those five and a half, almost six years, how much contact did you have with your mother? None until you got to Pakistan, is that correct?
3: Yeah, we couldn't get any letters, any uh, information from my mom because uh, they used to, the KGB who used to watch us very carefully and make sure we don't receive any letters from CIA, they used to call us CIA kids because they're kind of noticed with my mom left to America. But we know where she is in America, but we don't know what part of America she was. Mm-hmm. She couldn't, uh, she was sending letters and stuff like that always get uh, the KGB hold it and never receive it to us and never give it to us and basically we lost hope we thought we're not going to see our mom at all and some communist relatives uh, reported to my mother in the United States as al Fahim and as your son other son got killed by Russian and uh, your husband is already married someone else. Oh, my gosh. That was all false. And my mom, some kind of go with some kind of uh, mental problem, and she was very, very, very disturbed by that news. After five years or after three and a half years, we went to Pakistan, gave her a call. Thanks to them, one Marine helped us to go inside the embassy and find where my mom was. And, uh, we found her phone number in Virginia and we gave her a call. I put a, that was old fashioned phone. We put a quarters. Finally, my mom answered the phone and said, mom, this is for him. And she couldn't believe it. She couldn't kind of say, no, that's not for him. That's not the same. I know 12 years old, 13 years old. Your voice changed. You become a man. Mm-hmm. You're lying. You're, I was trying to convince her. This is me, mom. That was all lie. Whoever we told you we, my dad married or we all got killed. It was all false. They tried to, the communists tried to damage our family. It was already damaged our family. Separate us, mom. But please, that's as fast. And after that, we go with the flow with the paperwork. And thanks again to Ronald Reagan. Thanks again to them one Marines help us a lot.
0: What, what made your father just finally decide to escape Afghanistan to Pakistan? What was the catalyst?
3: Uh, he saw that Afghanistan's fall apart. Uh, he thought he has a, he has a very stubborn personality. He says, no, we're Afghan. We're going to defeat the, we did the, defeat the British, the Moguls, the King's Khan, Alexander the Great. We will defeat the Russian too in a month or two months, but the Russian couldn't get defeated almost for 10 years. But he made a decision. He was going to get forced. He forced like communists to tell him, Wanted to you put your, uh, kids, which is me and my other brother, to put it in communist school, send them to Moscow to get brainwashed, come back, uh, as a communist. And, uh, my dad one day he did ask us, I said, do you guys want to go to Russia? Do you guys want to go to learn how to become communist? And I had a tears on, guys, i never forget that. I'm saying, no, we want to go see my mom. And when he surprised us, he said, he surprised, that one morning, five in the morning, he says, son, ready to go. And we walked seven days, seven nights of this Hindu Kush Mountain. We arrived in Palachana, Pakistan, and the first things I saw, there was a refugee camp over there, almost two million Afghans. That was reminding the communists, the way they were showing the propaganda uh TV, during World War II, how the t- Jewish people get been tortured. I was was a similar view. I saw the poor Jewish who been uh, tortured the refugee camps, and I was seeing my Afghan and the Jewish uh, World War II similar similar view. And I wish, uh, I hope this. Uh, I'm sure we we'll, one day will become a movie, and I want to work on that script on that scene a lot make sure in Tedios, Afghan was tortured by the Russian as
0: well. Wow. So you made it to Pakistan, and what amazed me is how long you stayed in Pakistan before you finally made it to the United States. I mean, t- talk to me a little bit. How many how many years was it there you were in Pakistan? We were
3: in ten, almost two, two and a half years. Ten? We were
0: And that whole time, did you pretty much give up hope that you would ever make it to America? Did you always have it in the back of your mind that you were going to make it there?
3: I do we heard a lot of negative energy. We hear a lot of negative from people around us. It says, "No, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for you to go to Afghanistan. It's hard out to the United. States. i apologize. it's going to be hard for you to make it to America." But you always serve. you have to have to believe. You never give up. Make it happen. You always have a faith and a hope. My mom was there, and we had a we have better chance than other refugees to come to America. But still, you never know. But we, uh, I've, I've reached my almost four or five dreams. I could become an actor, became the first, my first dream was fought the Russian. My second dream to meet my mom again. My third marine, uh, dream to come to America. My fourth dream, uh, uh, to, uh, become an actor. My fifth mar- uh, dream to become a Marine, part of the Marine tribe and pay my dues for this beautiful country. Yeah, that was very tough. That was very. uh, uh We thought we were going to stuck in the refugee camp forever, I'm not going to see my mom. But thanks to Ronald Reagan, uh, he was the greatest man. He signed a contract with the United Nations to bring Afghan asylum refugees to the United States.
0: Yeah, so you made it to the United States. You finally did. Tell us, tell us a little bit about how it was almost like stepping onto another planet. I mean, you, you, you. you Make it to is it New York City, I believe, as you as you came in and talked I to
3: arrive, I arrived in New York City, which is totally different culture, different building, more modern. I never see a woman with legs. I never see different language. I never see freeways in my life. I never see, uh, uh, we were just living out of the bony in Afghanistan, all mountain, all the toadwood country. And there was a little challenge for me and in how I'm going to make it here, how I'm going to make it, how I'm going to learn the language, how I'm going to make it uh, follow my dream, how I'm become an actor. It was a big challenge for me. I was, by the time I was 19, and uh, I want to go to school. The school didn't accept me. I only have a uh, nine grade Afghanistan education, and it was my dream to go to school to become, uh, learn more English. But uh, thanks God uh, the adult school for me and go for one year for two years, learn English, go step by step. And I want to learn the culture of the United States. I want to learn the people, how, where they come from, where they, how they built this beautiful country. And I'll always have a respect for this country because the way they give us shelter from the communists. They give us green card. They give us citizenship, They give us uh, social security. And I always, always, was in the back of my mind, make sure I pay my dues one day. I did pay paying my dues after 25 years and I pay my dues and go to help the Marines and, uh, pay my tax for this beautiful country. And, uh, sir, I would never turn my back for this country because this country saved me from the communists. And I always appreciate this country. I will always be faithful for this country. When I become a citizen in 1996, 95, I apologize. And I raise my arm, I raised my hand to front of the judge. The judge says, would you protect this country? Yes, I would love to protect this country. And after 9-11, I thought they need my language, they need my knowledge Was speaking four or five languages for Afghanistan. But if I go over there, help this beautiful country with U.S. Marine, I can save up a Marine, I can save the civilians, and come back, to keep my hands up.
0: Yeah, you know, you know <laughs> I don't... Just- I'm at a loss for words, to be quite honest, because it, it's refreshing to me to hear, um, and especially after reading your book and knowing the insight and knowing what you've seen. And you know, I look back at my Marine Corps experiences and I remember I never really, you know, the first time I left the United States and I saw all kinds of places, you know, poverty like I've never seen before. And just that short exposure certainly puts you a different perspective and helped me appreciate the country anymore. I've always appreciated and loved this country, but. You and, like you said, you've you've cheated death so many times. You know, fighting the communists, making that trek to Pakistan. You finally make it over here. You start to see success of, um, in California. You start to get some acting jobs. You start to get paid. You meet a wonderful woman. You have a daughter. You get married, and then all of a sudden, you make this decision, which I just just find truly amazing. In two thousand nine and ten, like you said, you felt like you owed this country something, and you went back and volunteered with the Marines to be an interpreter. Mike, is that how you got in touch with Fahim? Tell us a little bit about how you got in touch with Fahim.
2: Yeah, sure, I ran into Fahim in Afghanistan. I was there in 2010 as a field historian, uh, lieutenant colonel of the uh, Marine Corps University. And I was traveling around Helmand Province, uh, going from outpost to outpost, just uh, meeting Marines and getting some photos and uh, recording interviews to, uh, while their operations were still fresh on their minds uh as a field historian and I uh had heard that Third Battalion, Fourth Marines, three four was doing an operation up in uh the northern part of the of Province. And uh so I, I went up there and I uh rode with this uh with this uh company out towards Bakwa, uh west of Delaram for this operation and came back to Delaram where the battalion headquarters was, and there was an event there that Fahim was uh, doing some translating at for the district governor or sub-governor. And uh, anyway, after this little event, there was a little uh, banquet of sorts, a humble little banquet, and um, in the battalion conference room, and I happened to sit, sit across the table from Fahim Fosley. And somebody had mentioned that he was, he was a Hollywood actor, which got my attention because, you know, that's kind of kind of a sexy thing, uh, at least a lot uh, I'm sure, in in real life, I'm sure it's a grind many times, but uh, it has a a glamorous uh, aspect to it, to some of us who who like movies, and uh, so I was thinking, why is he here, and uh, I found out a little bit about some of the movies that he'd been in, and TV shows, of course, he was typecast as a a bad guy, but anyway, we uh, uh, talked at, at dinner and exchanged business cards, and he was uh, also ke- keeping a voice recorder uh, with notes on his own experiences there because he wanted to do a book. And, you know, I have a little experience putting words together. and it's, I just offered to uh, work with him if he wanted some help with a the, with the book project. And we stayed in touch. We both came back to America. And, uh, you know, I interviewed him again in America. And uh so we... Put together an outline of, uh, of his story and in some sample chapters. And I had met Dale Dye, who I'm sure, I know you know, most yeah. Marines know, uh, Captain Dale Dye, uh, at a combat correspondence event late, late 2010 in Reno. And, uh, Dale and I had exchanged business cards. And, uh, you know, I was interested in interviewing Dale for different reasons. And, and, uh, you know, he'd mentioned some, Marine Corps history that I was interested in. So I uh, uh, interviewed Dale in November, and uh, I was in California, and then I uh, interviewed Fahim again. And then um, when I had met Dale, he uh, I, I interviewed him about his Vietnam experiences. Most those uh, interviews are on file with Marine Corps University or archived there. But anyway, Dale gave me a book that he had written, and uh, I went back to Quantico and I was looking and started to read his book. And out of curiosity, I you know, checked to see who published it. And it was WPG Warriors Publishing Group, uh, which is really run by um, Dr. Julia Dye, right. uh, Dale's wife. So the next time I was in California in December of 2010, I just uh, uh, asked them about if uh, they'd be interested in learning more about Fahim's story. And they, uh, were initially somewhat intrigued. I kind of had to sell them a little bit on, on the concept. Uh, and they looked at the sample chapters and the outline and, and they, they, I think, obviously they saw there was something there. You know, Fahim is an actor and, uh, working with the Marines was a re- really good fit, I think, for Warriors Publishing, being run by Marines and, and, uh, with that Hollywood connection. So they, uh, uh, Dr. Dye, Made us worked pretty hard for quite a while to show that we were serious, which we certainly were, and, and, uh, and, and she worked very hard as well as, as we went back and forth, and, and I know you, you've interviewed, uh, Dr. Julia for your, for your program. So anyway, uh, we spent about over a year, uh, going back chapter after chapter and, and, uh, iteration after iteration, and, and we finally, uh, last year, uh, finished the book and got it out there and, and, uh, we're thrilled that it won the award for, uh, Top Biography, Golden Oak for Top Biography from the, uh, MWSA Military Writers Society of America. And it's since been nominated for, uh, Book of the Year with the OHA, the Oral History Association. We'll find out more about that later this year. So at that, uh, real quick, uh, Rich is the story of, the Fahim and how we, uh, Get this book out
0: there. Well, it's a great book. You should be proud of it, both of you. It's uh, Like I said, it, it's, it's a very compelling story. It's, it's, Like I said, it's hard to put into a category, really. You know, this podcast is about leadership, but it's also, more importantly, about the pursuit of the truth. And what I really appreciate, the fact, again, Fahim, that you, as a citizen, you put aside your successful career as an actor in Hollywood. You left your wife. You left your daughter. And what you felt like you wanted to give back to your country And like you have so eloquently stated in this interview that, that you felt like has given you a lifetime of opportunities here. So my thanks to you and my hats off to you for that. Tell me about, and I'm, I'm a huge, when I look at Afghanistan and I've, and I've seen some documentaries and it makes me so depressed because it just seems like such a lost cause. And when I read your passages in the story and you know, it's, it's the, the patience and everything you did and, and how you reminded everybody from the, from the story, I got the sense that there was some hope. There was some possibility there. So tell me about it. You, uh, you certainly saw some success there. But how do you feel about it now, I guess?
3: I felt pretty good. Uh, when I was with my U.S. Marine, my tribe, which, as I call them, my brothers, and Elmer province, and Delaram, uh, Lebanon all these places, uh, Bagua, uh, we saw... Marines brought a road for them. We saw, it. I saw it. when my our team we we built a road for them. We bring a will for them. We did a lot of work for them. But the only problems I see, corruptions from the kazakh government, and I see corruptions between um, how the Pakistan, uh, how the Iran, how the Russian involved. They don't want that country to be success. They don't want that country to get built. And my advice to the US government, always bring education. We have to bring educate Afghans because ninety percent of us who are non educated and the ten percent are educated. They're all over the other countries and if they if we go over there with education, if we go over there with Pencil and paper, computers, uh, and I really see hope over there. i right? saying I will recommend U.S. shouldn't leave Afghanistan at all. If U.S. leaves, leave Afghanistan, it's going to be second 9/11, and I don't want this happening because Pakistan is a very keeping an eye on Afghanistan, and Iran is keeping an eye on Afghanistan. China, Russia, Afghanistan is a very important country. For the United States, so they used to call them the Silk Road. And um, hopefully if the corruption is stopped, hopefully, hopefully the Kazakh corruption government stops, and uh, if people, all these tribes, Pashtun, Azara, Tajik, Uzbek, get united with each other. If they get united, and trust me, that country is going to be number one. Uh, country in Central Asia with all this technology, with all this power United, uh, give it to them, how much money we spend in Afghanistan. Right now the monies go to the wrong hand. The, run, the money, um thanks to United States and the money over there help a lot, but we have to, have to, have to stop corruption. Otherwise, uh, our
0: money is get wasted. Already. Yeah. But just, that's, that, I guess that's the part that depresses me because it's, it seems so overwhelming. And just even looking at your example when you went over there and, and you were so persistent and you were so patient and you finally got the trust. I mean, you, you, you could talk to them. You could tell them, um, you know, that you could relate to them because you, you could, they, they knew what tribe you were from and they developed that trust. And you, and I love that story. Tell us that story about how you, you were so successful at the end. You had a, a bounty on your head at some point. You were becoming so well known over there that the Taliban actually put a bounty on your head. Is that right?
3: Yes. Uh, where I came from, I came from the Kandahar Elman province, my background, where my great grandfathers came from. And we call, uh, my tribe's called the Barikzai tribe, which is great. The Barikzai, Muhammadze, Nurze, all is they're a very big tribe. The first thing what I did, I was Captain telling Captain Benson, allow me to go a beer. I know in Marines you have to shave everything and clean and very, or your uniform has to be straight and uh, very uh, full of discipline. And sir, if you don't mind, just uh, allow me to go a beer and uh, allow me to be myself to blend in with Afghans. And I had a long beard, long hair, with a marine uniform, go village to village, introduce. the first things I said, I did, sir, I never wasn't cocky about it. Hey, I'm coming from America, I'm doing translation after 30 years or 28 years. I was, make myself humble, and make myself at their level, sit with them, kiss their hand, hug them, kiss them three times with the cheek, and always respect the elders, and I'm always introduce myself. As my tribe, not as a Fahim, because nobody knows who Fahim is. Uh, they know my tribe. And we saw a lot of uh, uh, good uh, answer from them. They like us, and uh, the other good things about our Marines, you know, I did a three month training on Mojave Desert. When I was, they give them a class, a culture advisor a class, or uh, uh, language classes. And that was very nice of these marines well, when I was with the India company in three four, and they always made a note they write at Hassalamalek or singe They ahead and say hi, how are you? They made a little note, and there was a good things about our my marines in three four. We were going to bazaar of village to village, and I hear them. My marine called the civilian, hey, how are you? And our in pastoral, and I was so impressed, and I saw the civilian coming towards us. Not hiding themselves. And they warm up with us because the, the Marines were our world, but they already know the Afghan culture, the Pashtun culture. And that was very, really, we're very really happy. We got invited to a lot of lunch. We got invited, invited a lot of breakfast and people welcome us because we learned a couple of words and I introduced my tribe and I was always to introduce myself. This is my captain. This is my, Colonel, this is my journal. I'm always introducing, them. I was make sure I translate each word to come out from the Marines. I was make sure I translate right away or each word coming from the civilian right away and translate it. I was watching make sure no one did disappoint each other. So I want to make sure bring the civilian tours of Marine Marines towards
0: civilian. I mean that's very encouraging to me and I and I, I love that. I'm curious to see what you think about does that you know you seem like uh, almost an exception. Even in your book, you talk about how some of the other interpreters didn't necessarily look at it the same way. They didn't view the United States the same way. They didn't view it as um, that some of them felt entitled, as you said in your book. So, how how do you think it is now? A couple of years removed after you've been there, do you think do you think some of the um, legacy that you left there is still going, or do you think it's it's reverting back the other way?
3: Uh, sure. Um, first of all, I was very disappointed all those 10 Marines, I mentioned, uh, uh, translator quit. If you come into this country, if you want to go pay your dues with the most beautiful, uh, Marine, the most powerful, uh, military, you have to, when you sign the paper, you have to go all the way. The way they back off, I was very disappointed. I was very, very disappointed. I called them hypocrites. If you come in here hold a green card, if you're holding a citizenship, and you're not going to pay your dues, like your question is, but they have a 1,000 translator like me, loyal not only for the United States, loyal for the own people, for Afghan, loyal for the United States. Trust me, that will help a lot. But most of them, they go over there because of make money and get out. And this is the wrong agenda. That's the wrong, wrong motive. If you go over there, pay your dues to help the civilian. If you go pay your dues to help the Marines, trust me, you come back. God will give you the result.
0: Well, gosh, Fahim, like I said, I mean, the, the book was so inspirational for me. You are a true patriot. Um.
3: Thank you. And uh, by the way, I want to mention something. I'm not an into a politician. I did my pay, pay my dues for the United States of America. I pay my dues for the, the military of the United States. I send my book to White House and I, uh, the reason I send my book to the White House, I want to introduce my Marines to the White House. As a civilian view, which is as an actor, a Hollywood actor, what Michael and I wrote to introduce our Marine, what what a great job he did in Afghanistan. I just got a letter from the President of the United States, uh, thanks, our Marine, and thanks, main Michael, to pay for our dues, and I was very happy to, our book, our name of the Marine says, our book is inside the White House.
0: Yeah, it was great. I saw that on, the, on your Facebook, how you shared that letter. That was, a uh, really awesome. You know, one thing I like about two, and this is for you too, Michael, about what, what's great about the book. And, and, um, of course, I'm biased towards the Marine Corps being a former Marine myself, but I'm, when I was in the Guard here, um, uh, I spent 10 years in the Kansas Air National Guard and I remember a guy, um, who's always been in the Guard and he, he was going to go and do a tour over there in, um, in Afghanistan with the Marines as an Air Force guy working in Intel. And he asked me, he came up to me and he said, Hey, you know, what's it going to be like working with them? And I said, Hey, look, you know, you just go in there and, um, you know, be humble, learn how to take, you know, if you, once you get melded in with them, they're going to take care of you. And that's the theme that I think is so great in this book, how Fahim and, and you talk about it, how you, you get in there and they, they almost adopt you like a family. And, um, and I think that's what's so great about the Marine Corps is like once you get somebody in and you, and you get down in the weeds with them, they take care of you, and that's that's a forever taken care of, too. It's not just a, a bypassing thing. Would you agree with that?
2: Well, I think that uh, the book touches on that, Rich, as you know, uh, Fahim shared that when he was in training with the other interpreter candidates at Fort Benning, uh, he had a Sergeant uh, Sergeant Chavez, I believe his yeah. name was. Yes. yes, and Sergeant Chavez, uh, when he found out Fahim wanted to go with the Marines, he said, uh, he says, you know, try to you know, work hard and, and prove yourself to them. And if you become part of their family, they'll always be there for you. And, uh, again, he, Fame was a contractor. Of course, the contractors were very well compensated, very well paid, um, which I know was an attraction for, for some of them. But so many of them, as you just mentioned, uh, quit. They, they did not want to go, uh, a lot of them didn't want to go to the Marines in the first place, and they, they didn't want to go to Hellman Province. And, and I, uh, love, and I think other people, uh, love the fact that Fahim Fosley uh wanted to go with the Marines. In fact he asked to be with the Marines, one of the one of the few because uh the you know the word was that uh it's no piece of cake to be in Hellman Province with the Marine Infantry Battalion. But uh, you know Fahim asked for that and and he was accepted. Uh in fact the, at the very end of the book, uh he kinda of has a flashback because uh Fahim comes back to uh America, to California and and, uh, they have these wonderful receptions. I've experienced them, um, you know, coming back to Bangor, Maine, for example, uh, you know, and, and when Fahim came back, you know, in Bangor and, in Georgia, you know, where he had to stop before he went back to California, there's these wonderful receptions. And then when he, uh, got back to John Wayne Airport in Orange County, um, uh, Sophia, his daughter, and Amy, his wife, were there. But, there, you know, there wasn't, uh, you know, a whole lot of, it. there was nobody else there, which, it was kind of sad, uh, you know, as, as I, you know, as I pondered that. And then he shortly thereafter went to 29 Palms to turn his, the Marine base in the desert to turn his stuff in. And, uh, the Marines, uh, welcomed him, welcomed him back almost like a hero and gave him, uh, a wonderful reception and, and awards and so on and so forth. And then, you know, he thought back to what Sergeant Chavez said at Fort Benning, if you become part of the Marine Corps family, they'll always be there for you and and that was uh very, very moving for me to to uh you know to picture and to imagine as as Fahim described
0: it. Yeah, me too. It was a it's a great part of the book and again it just validates everything that I learned about the Marine Corps and know about the Marine Corps and, and that same individual I told you that went when he came back six months later and he said, You're absolutely right. And he said those guys were so protective of me, you know uh, once once they kind of adopted him and within their family. I don't know what a great book and it's, there's so many lessons to be learned from a leadership perspective. I mean, you know, of of sacrifice of putting the team forward, putting something a larger purpose than than yourself forward. All of that's encapsulated in this story, Fahim, and and I can't thank you enough for your sacrifices that you've made. And um again, you're a tr- you're a true hero of mine. And uh, again, th- I can't thank you enough for your service.
3: Thank you, sir. I'm always being part of Marines. Even I'm not a Marine, but um, uh, I work with them for a year and a half. And I'm always going to call them my brothers. I still contact with them. I still have a buddy. They come in from Oceanside, 29th Palm. We play volleyball sometimes on Laguna Beach. We have fun. We go have dinner. Families get together. You're right, sir. Once they accept you as their tribe, Will always be in their tribe, and I yeah. would never deny that. I will always be part of the Marines.
0: Awesome! So you got a? You just finished up. Uh, let's say you've been in. We didn't talk about some of the things you've been in. You had a speaking part in Argo. Is that correct?
3: Yes, that was my first Oscar nomination movie, and I just came back from China. I did a Iron Man three prologue. Which is uh, about some Chinese actors involved in um, the main character of that movie. And um, as a matter of fact, I'm shooting tomorrow in CIS Los Angeles.
0: Great.
3: And uh, pretty good. And uh, we're working on the script for the movie, for our book. Hopefully, hopefully uh, the script. Uh, this is uh, Michael. If you explain a little bit more, because you're the boss on that.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm the boss on on uh, on that piece, but other than. I'm, doing some very, very early preliminary, uh, organization of a, of a concept and, uh, what they call the treatment, uh, a one shade and the pitch package that, uh, you know, there's certain things that you can research ahead of time in terms of like movies and, 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 you know, how the story might be developed. So I'm, uh, finishing up the preliminary, uh, you know, package proposal to send back out to, uh, Warriors Inc., Warriors Publishing Group, and, uh, they have a, a new partnership with a company called Open Road that helps to raise awareness about possible projects. Yeah. And, um so anyway, I, I think, uh, of course it's a natural. I mean, th- th- this has always come up ever since we started working on the book because Fahim is an actor and, and Dale Guy, uh, you know, is of Hollywood, uh, Marine in Hollywood. So it, it'll be one of many, many countless proposals floating around out there, but, uh, I really believe in, uh, Fahim's story and, and uh, you know, I, I think there's uh, there's some destiny here that that uh, hopefully will uh, unfold. And and uh, this story uh, that's in the book, of course you were talking earlier, Rich, about what kind of a story is it? Well, it's an adventure story. It's a love story. It's a war story. It's a Hollywood story. There's there's so many
0: yeah, there's so many things wrapped up in it. That's why I said it's hard to even. I, I don't know. Again, I, maybe I'm just. We
2: supposed to. We supposed to name the book
3: full circle. Where I came from, I go back from. But the, we googled full circle. Uh, uh, there was a million names with it, and I was telling Michael Moffat and our uh, publisher, we don't want to bury this book. We have to name this. And our uh, publisher, Dr. Julia, came out with the name. He speaks. And they have their own translation, how they made the, for him speak. My, I did my own translation, for him to speak. I went to Afghanistan with U.S. Marines, the best military in the United States. What I saw and bring my story back, what I saw in my troop, and as I'm going to speak about them. I want to introduce my Marines to the, the around the world, around the United States, who they are, how I become a part of them, how I become a family with them. How I fall in love with them. How I be. How they were loyal to me. I was. I was loyal to them. That's what. How I translate the fame speaks about Marines. Yeah, but and, uh, Michael. Michael has his own translation, which is uh, Michael. If you explain a little bit, please.
2: Yeah, like Fame said, uh, Doctor Julia was the one who uh, came up with the uh, idea for Fame speaks, and it encapsulates uh, a, a number of different things. Uh, one part of it for Hollywood people, um uh, when Fahim finally got his SAG card, SAG, uh, Screen Actors Guild card, he was eligible for speaking roles. It wouldn't have to be like a background extra anymore. So, uh, you know, it, w- it was a little bit like, uh, for Hollywood people who know the Greta uh, Garbo story. She was in silent films, and, and then, um, when she finally was going to be in a talking movie, people were excited, oh, okay. Gonna- get to hear her voice, you know, she's a beautiful actress, but what does she sound like? And then there was just headlines, you know, Garbo speaks. So anyway, Fahim uh, got his uh SAG card and and so then, you know, you could tell people, hey, I want to talk in a movie, you know, Fahim speaks, plus the interpreter part of it, obviously, he speaks several yeah. languages, so so impressive to anybody who speaks multiple languages is just awesome uh, to me. I have enough trouble with one language, so... So Fahim speaks yeah, uh fahimspeaks.com the name of the book is F A H I M Fahim speaks on Amazon and and uh you know we're we're proud of it.
0: Yeah, you should be. And uh like I said it's a book that encapsulates so many things. It encapsulates leadership, patriotism, sacrifice, um pursuing something larger than yourself. It's a great book, gentlemen, and I'm and I'm so proud that uh that that you wrote it. Or I'm so happy that you wrote it. You should be proud, and I'm happy that uh, and proud that you came on the show to talk about it.
3: And, uh, can I say something to, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat? Um, I want everybody can hear this. Uh, sir, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat, thank you from the bottom of my heart to help me with this book. Without you, sir, I would never, never finish this book. And thank you for your service in Afghanistan, sir. And thank you to be part of this book. Thank you for introduce our troop, especially our Marines this book and I will never, never, sir, I will never, never forget this help what he did for Afghans and for my book, for our book and I want to appreciate you. You are my brother. You will be my brother and we born the same month, May 30th, sir. I will always salute you, sir. I will always respect you, sir.
2: Well, th- thank you, Fahim and, and, and Rich. Uh, as Fahim mentioned, our birthdays are uh, the same day, May 30th, uh, on Memorial Day but it's it's really neat that uh, you know we did meet and uh, I think, you know I've helped his uh, his dream to move forward I'm sure by you know getting this help helping him to get this book to become a reality now you know possible movie and and it's been a, a, a thrill for me for hims enabled me to dream, dream some dreams about uh, you know being a an author or co-author and to have a, something published that uh, wins awards and and Hopefully, it will make a difference. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful to have crossed Fehim's path. And and uh, and, and again, uh, Rich, appreciate uh, you giving us some time on your program.
0: My pleasure. Like I said, I'll have a post of it of all this stuff. Uh, those are eloquent words for And again, thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Stay on the line. I'm going to stop the recording, but let uh, let's chat for a couple more seconds here. Thanks for coming on the show, guys.
1: Thank, Thank you. you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.